0: of Justin and the Food Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Bizarro, and today I'm here with my co-host, Deborah Mikas. Hello. And today we'll be interviewing Rusty Bowers. He's the owner of Pine Street Market and the co-owner of Chop Shop, a new butcher shop that's opening up in Atlanta, Georgia. Rusty, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Hi, I'm Rusty Bowers. I'm the lead butcher and owner of Pine Street Market here in Avondale Estates, Georgia, and um, I'm really excited to be here.
0: So, Rusty, tell us a little bit about what you guys do at Pine Street Market and, and what led you to, to open the business and become Absolutely. a butcher.
1: Yeah. Um, so, at Pine Street Market, we are uh, Atlanta's premier whole animal butcher shop. So, we're an artisan butcher shop. We, we break down whole pigs, sides of beef, chickens, duck, lamb, all that we source from uh, local purveyors, ranchers, and farmers. Um, What we're most well known for is our bacon. We make about 1200 pounds of bacon a week and about 600 pounds of fresh sausage and smoked sausage. Um, Everything from copa to the salamis, prosciutto. And then we uh, also teach classes almost every Saturday on whole animal butchery, sausage making, curing meat, all that kind of fun stuff. We have a good time.
0: And, and so how did you get into butchering and and what led you to opening up pine street market?
1: I like talking about this. Um, so I started cooking back in 1993 when I flunked out of college, um, like a lot of chefs and, um, then quickly learned, I uh, grew up in Jacksonville, Florida and I quickly learned that cooking in Florida was fun, but there was a whole big world out there. So I sold my car and moved to Maui and learned about fish and seafood. Made money in Maui, moved to um, Austria and traveled Eastern Europe and the Middle East, working in Austria and Turkey. Took that money, went to Culinary Institute of America up in New York. And um, then afterwards, when I graduated, moved here to Atlanta to be near my family.
0: And so um, when you came back, did you have the idea of opening the market and it just came or did it take a while and you just had the money saved up and jumped right into it or you found that uh Atlanta needed a market. How did how'd you go about it? Or you just had a whim and you're yeah. like, I'm gonna do this?
1: So um one of the best things I learned at CIA was how to read food trends. And looking to New York and San Francisco and LA had all these like amazing badass butchers that were like cutting their own stuff and meeting the farmers and walking the farms and being like the the punk rock of a chef is the rock star that is the punk rock do it yourself, you know, Minutemen or misfits. Um, and got tired of being in kitchens. I got tired of, I'm, There are lots of things that I think that I'm good at. I know I'm not good at menu development. I'm not good at the whole side of being a chef to where you're constantly reinventing everything and coming up with new things. And so I was burning out and then met Weston Charlotte at Riverview Farms with their pigs, their cows, their produce. And was like, I love what they're doing. And no one is showing this at all. And that kind of led to where we are today.
0: And what what kind of animals do they have at, uh, could you repeat the name of the farm? I think you said Red River, but I I may have misunderstood. Uh,
1: Sure. So um, the farm that we source the majority of our meat from is Riverview Farms, uh, about an hour and a half north up in Ranger, Georgia. Um, It's uh, Berkshire and Tamworth pigs, uh, Angus cattle. Uh, They grow all the feed there on the farm. So non-GMO soy, non-GMO corn. The pigs forage for um, acorns and sweet gumballs and pecans. And they're right on the river. And it's just this beautiful, happy little farm, actually a medium-sized farm. But it just, that helped me fall in love with butchery and I learned some in Austria, some in Maui, and some at school and kind of pieced it all together and kind of built the company that we have now.
0: Oh, that's great. Um, So tell us about the Chop Shop then and what's the vision there? Is it a similar idea or how are you expanding on it, um, what you're doing now? And I assume you're going to use uh, Riverview Farms as well for that.
1: Right. So I I co-own Chop Shop with Riverview Farms. And so we call it full circle farming um, with the idea that they're raising the food, they're birthing the animals on the farm, uh, taking them to be processed and then bringing them to Pine Street. And then we'll do all the fresh cuts, um, curing the meats, the sausage, the bacon, smoking, and then delivering that to Chop Shop. So Chop Shop is going to be the one thing it is, is a big, beautiful retail store. It'll have a, um, an event space for up and coming chefs to do pop ups. Uh, lunches and dinners. Um, We'll be able to teach like the higher end classes there, like meat and wine and beer pairing and pasta making and uh, different things with vegetables. So while Pine Street will remain the producer and have like the rough and tough classes, Chop Shop is the more refined 1300 square foot beautiful retail store in the heart of Atlanta.
2: That sounds amazing. As someone who loves to go out and look at meats and figure out what to make for dinner, it sounds like a really cool thing to be able to do that. Also, maybe take a cooking class. It sounds amazing.
1: Thank you. Yep. Yeah, we we stick with our tagline, know your butcher. We want we want you to choose to to take part in what we do. And we understand you can go to Kroger or Walmart or wherever to buy meat, but you're buying into the, the lifestyle that, that we promote and the the idea of you can walk in and like some of our customers do, and say, hey, what do you guys have today? What am I having for dinner? And we'll walk you through how to prepare each cut.
0: So tell us about the classes that you guys offer because I've seen some of the stuff on Instagram and the posts and stuff like that. I think you did a class on uh, cutting up the whole pig and and what that looks like. So what is it that you're trying to do and and educate people on? And and I assume it's giving back in a way, but it's also educating people so they're more familiar with fresh meats um so tell us a little bit about that
1: so the idea of the class is it's um to help educate the public on what we do and so we even have a plexiglass window in the store to where you can look back at any given moment and see me and the other butchers working uh we're slicing or, or breaking down the side of pig or beef kind of all these different things you can just look in and see it happening and then it kind of grew from there to where we're like let's were so excited and we wanted to share the knowledge. And that that whole stuff about not wanting to see how the sausage is made is is BS. We want you to see that it's this beautiful pork that we're getting in, uh, whether it's pork, beef, chicken, and how we make the sausage, how we season it. It's not fatty, it's really good for you. Um, a lot of people don't know that humane pork is high in omega3s like salmon and olive oil. So even the fat is good good fat for you and it's it's educating the customer and make it a more, I'm doing air quotes, sticky, to where they, they understand the philosophy of the company, understand the philosophy of what I do, and you, you build a stronger relationship with your customer, and it's exciting for us and them. Yeah, that's
0: so, interesting because I know that the healthy fats, things like the keto diet are really pushing healthy fats and the human brain right. and, and things like that, so that's really interesting. I know Deborah has a question. Go ahead.
2: So who's the person that takes a class? Is that going to be the chef? Is that going to be someone who does their own hunting and wants to learn how to cut down their own animals? Like who's, who's your client?
1: So that's been, I think one of the biggest eye openers is that it's everybody. It's um, tends to be about 30% women, 70% men. Some people are hunting. Some people just are excited and have gone to local cooking classes for pasta and you know, and such, and wanted to then expand what they do. Sometimes it's people that they don't even want to, they're like, I don't want to cut the pork chop. I just want to, I wanted to learn more about how the the pig is is handled. We've had um, people that used to be vegetarians switching to eating meat and then like, okay, I want to really understand what I'm eating. And that's really been helpful for, for people as they, you know, change their lifestyles.
0: So would you say there was kind of a pivot there? You decided to, to educate people, and then you realized there was an opportunity to train people, and I guess that would be something as an entrepreneur and owning your own business you saw as an opportunity?
1: So when I first opened back in um, 2008, uh, I didn't time it right because it was right as the recession was hitting. And um, the, the city of Avondale States that we're in really wanted to have a retail store that the neighborhood could, could come to. Cause originally I just wanted to be a wholesale meat provider up and down Atlanta and East coast. Uh, So we added the store and then I watched sales at the store, sales at the open air farmers markets, wholesale and online kind of trickling a little and growing. And I'm like, Hey, it was a big eye opener for me that the more avenues of business that we have, the, the, the better chance we can stay in business. I mean, we, This is our 11th year of business. And I I attribute that to being able to do classes, wholesale, farmer's markets, online sales, and have the retail stores.
2: Yeah, you see lots of that with entrepreneurs and the vertical integration and the more points that you can hit different clientele with basically a similar product. Um, And at different parts of the market, it sounds like you've even started with your partnership that's coming up. That's what you're doing
1: Absolutely. And it's, it's, we're growing with them. And the big thing um, when I approached them a few years ago with the idea was, hey, let's not open a barbecue restaurant, a hair salon, or an airline business, because we don't know how to do any of those things. Let's open a place that you continue to do what you really well, do well, I continue to do what I do really well, and then grow it and become bigger and bigger. And I think that's the key to success in this market.
2: So do you guys contemplate having multiple stores?
1: No, we'll have the one. And then um, I, don't, I don't know what the future holds. I know for Pine Street, we're about to go from 2,600 square feet to 11,000 square feet oh, wow. as we start to take our product into grocery stores and up and down the East Coast. Um, and then with Riverview, I know that they've always dreamed of having the retail store. And I could see it becoming bigger and, you know, mightier and, uh, more of like a culinary mecca of food.
0: So tell us a little bit about that journey from 2008 until now and, and that expansion and how you've decided to expand and and I guess your products have gone into retail stores. Uh, how did all of that come about?
1: Sure. Um, so back in 2008, I was foolish enough to think that um, I had this adorable business plan that I would have six or seven wholesale customers. They would spend each a couple hundred dollars a week on salami and whole cured meat. And I'd have a part-time dishwasher come in and clean up after me. And I would run production by myself, the retail store, farmer's markets and deliveries. So about two weeks later, I started hiring people because there's no way I could do that. And um, having to grow the business. And for me, it was the, the second that I took on employees. And I'm like, wait a second, I'm responsible for people's livelihood. And you've got to go from there. Um, it took me, and this is a, a kind of a, an embarrassing thing, but it took me six or seven years to realize I can't lead by fear and adrenaline. And a few years ago, I had my epiphany that I was a jerk and I was a jerk of a boss and I was having high turnover and I was stressed out. I was trying to grow the wrong side of the company, the wholesale side, way too fast. And it was messing up our margins so I was keeping these unhappy people busy and going out of business. And so I had this big eye-opening moment that I had to cut back and become small to grow to be big.
0: And um, so I know that you guys do a lot of wholesale products. What kind of products were you in and, and how did you scale back and and how did you turn that around? I mean, what was some of the things you did to, to have the success that you're having now, which is obviously expansion of the building as well as um, expansion into another store.
1: So I, I watched um, two things that I was doing wrong as, as far as growing the business was that, um, well, three things I was doing wrong was I was bringing, I was promoting people into positions that they were doomed to fail. So I was taking like a retail employee and making them a general manager and they've never been a manager before. And then holding them to a, a measuring stick that, that they they couldn't, couldn't reach. Um, I also was growing uh, wholesale bacon to restaurants with my price way too low to try to be con- competitive with like Cisco and U.S. Foods and was producing almost 3,000 pounds a week but not making any money on it really. It was just all getting eaten up in labor. And then on other avenues is I was listening to anybody and everybody about our product line and was quickly, in my eyes, becoming the cheesecake factory of of meat to where I'm like, here are 45 different types of sausage. And I've now narrowed it down to about eight. And um, I think that streamlining the company, hiring the right people and trusting the people that you hire and realizing that my number one job at Pine Street Market is to create a mood where people feel safe and they feel respected and empowered. And then that's how we'll all grow together.
0: Um, just real quickly, um, what's your website address so people can look at the products you guys have? I want to make sure we, we cover that because I think we're talking about products a little bit. It's a good uh, transition there.
1: Absolutely. Uh, my fiance and I, we just redid our website, pinestreetmarket.com. And you can go on there for recipes, different um butcher boxes you can buy or individual items learn about our classes Uh, learn about me and our butchering crew and our sales team Uh, it's a really fun interactive website
0: tell us a little bit more i know bacon's a big popular item and i've known you've uh, put it into flavor of georgia as well Uh, what different types of bacon do you have and what type of different sausages do you have because i know those are popular items
1: on our bacon, we do our, um, our heritage bacon, which is coming from uh, pigs out of uh, North Carolina, do-rock pigs. And then we have our black label bacon, which is all Riverview Farms pork-billed. So those are the two different types of bacon that we have. Um, as far as sausage, we do um, bratwurst and country sausage would be our most popular. Then we do a smoked kielbasa, a smoked chicken sausage with Springer Mountain Farms chicken. Um, We do a Cotacchino, which is a really fun one that I I really like. It's a very rich, velvety Italian sausage. We do our standard Italian sausage, andouille, uh, Mexican chorizo, and bacon burger.
0: Oh, wow. The bacon burger one sounds
1: good. Yeah, that one's a lot of fun.
2: And where can people find your products?
1: So right now, our products are um, on our website, pinestreetmarket.com, and uh, some of the open-air farmers markets here in Atlanta. We have a retail store and we supply about 40 wholesale customers. Some are, um, some are outside of Atlanta, but most are inside Atlanta, uh, whether they're restaurants or retail stores. And then, um, soon we can see the products in February when we open chop shop.
0: So as you expand, um, what are you looking to do in that expansion and, uh, how did you decide to get there? I know it's, a little hard because people don't understand. Sometimes you're putting the cart before the horse in an expansion. Um, so, how did you come up with that and decide to move forward on that?
1: So, when we did Flavor of Georgia um, about a year ago and and won the meat division, um, it was this huge eye-opening moment for me. Uh, our packaging was nowhere near the quality of our product. I was using uh, Dymo labels and just having a thermal printer. print print our labels and it looked like something that came out of someone's home. And, uh, throughout the company, I still had considered myself a chef. And so I would do events with other chefs like dinners, um, and donate product or auctions or things like that. And it was meeting all these food producers at flavor of Georgia gave me the big aha. We've got to step up our packaging. And so we have just gone through an entire rebranding, which now makes us attractive to places like fresh market and Publix and Wegmans. And so that's what we're looking to with the expansion is the ability to go from 1,200 pounds of bacon a week to the possibility of 11,000 pounds of bacon a week. And then the same with the sausages um, as we would go into the the retail markets.
2: So as you guys are expanding Pine Street Market, the square footage, how much of that is actually production space?
1: So the production space... For uh, the expansion, um, and we're going through the architectural drawings right now, so this is still, this is an exclusive, the first I've talked about it. But um, we will probably triple the size of the butcher room um, because we'll add um, some, some better equipment, a better grinder, um, a better bacon slicer, and a, something to help us stuff and link the sausages. Um, still, you know, very hands-on, but having the machines to help us as well.
2: So at this point, how many people are you employing?
1: I am employing um, seven full-time people and then a few uh, 1099 part-time people,
2: which is exciting. It is exciting. You know, you mentioned earlier having the responsibility of people and employees and their lives. And, you know, I think a lot of people don't understand as employers that what that is for all of us, that to mm-hmm. know that we have to make payroll and to really care about our employees. Right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And people, they choose to work for you. And that's that's a really big thing. And that was a really big eye opener for me. And um, it took employing uh, my two lead butchers, which are two of my favorite people I've ever met, um, are both um, from uh, Latin America. And while here legally, they have some issues when it comes to learning English. And I have issues when it comes to learning Spanish. <laughs> And um, it took that, that language barrier as, uh, hey, I can't be disrespectful to these two guys. They're wonderful people and are trying as hard as they can, but then we're going to have issues when we talk. And that really was my big eye opener to, oh my God, I'm a jerk. I've got to, I've got to win this back. And it is, it is on me to set the mood and the culture and let people know that they're respected and appreciated and its way goes way beyond just money is that hey i'm i'm somebody i'm not just an employee
0: i think a lot of leaders um myself included have have gone down that road and and you find like there's a you know anywhere from 8 to 12 years where you're leading a certain way and finally all the the mistakes and stuff build up and and you hit this sort of roadblock and you can't go through right. it anymore and you have to pivot or, or transform the way you're doing things in order to keep growing. Um, and I, I respect you for recognizing it for sure, because I, I can relate to that a lot. And through that, I think, you know, employees, and we really do have a chance to sort of be role models or leaders to them and, and change their lives. And it took me a while to realize that as well, is that they really do matter. And we really can make an impact on people's lives, just not only right. from being an employer and creating jobs, but just being there and, and understanding what they're going through. And, you know, they work harder because of it. And success in business has a lot to do with the employees because without them, there's, there's not much success.
1: Absolutely. And, and the, the neat um, side of it is that not only have um, each of the butchers have been here, I uh, think, coming up on four years. But they've got great ideas. And so these are the people that are are doing these tasks day in and day out while as entrepreneurs we're having to run around and do other things. And, you know, having someone say, hey, what if we change this one little way we grind or slice or vacuum seal because they're the one doing it every single day. There's great ideas and they feel empowered. The company's better off. It's such a win-win.
0: And. And with that, um, I want to go back to the Flavor of Georgia conversation because I know that's how I've met you when I was a judge. But what was your overall experience from it? And uh, well, you mentioned the changing the labels, but, you know, did you learn a lot from others? Do you still stay in contact with a lot of the people you met there?
1: Yes, definitely. So we met um, we met the label company that now does our labels. Um, I met some buyers that gave us some, some wonderful, harsh feedback that i that i needed um uh some other food producers i met them as well and we've stayed in touch um the um owner of high road ice cream is, is helping me uh through free consulting on growing and finding investors and taking on this this giant growth of the company over the next few years so flavor of georgia was one of the best things that's happened to us in a very long time
0: we find a a lot of people. The connections that you make at the the contests or contests like that um, are invaluable, and it helps accelerate things along. And I think to your point, when you have someone that's willing to give their time to help you excel or, or find investors or grow your business, you know that's important as well. I don't think we have enough of that in any industry in this in this country. People don't help each other enough, and I and I think flavor yeah. of Georgia and the state of Georgia really has become quite an incubator of that and, and, helping each other all the way from the government and the universities yep. to the flavor of Georgia. So um, props to the state of Georgia for that, for sure. Um, yeah, on, definitely. on another question, um, how do you motivate yourself every day? And I'm sure you have days that don't go great and, and you're down or, or sales don't go well. How do you motivate yourself and keep yourself going every day?
1: Uh, I motivate myself by surrounding myself with people that I admire and respect, and want to make sure that I'm doing right by. Um, with the number one being my fiance, she's a she has a Ph.D. in microbiology and three other degrees, and um, has worked at the Department of Defense, now CDC, and she can move mountains. So if I'm going to be her partner, I better be right next to her moving mountains. <laughs> um, and that's my biggest motivator uh but also people like with the owner of high road ice cream with um uh, ted nelson at gumbo marketing these people really um push me to do better and to grow and i'm not giving them a, a dollar not anything just respect and it's it's knowing that through open conversations and and working with people that hey you know I better do right by the butchers. You know, I, I need to, to make sure that I'm finding fun in every day, but I need to make sure that I'm, I'm the one driving the bus. So if I don't have a roadmap, you know, we're not going to stay busy. We're not going to grow. And it really, that's been a lot of fun is, is growing into being a leader that I respect.
0: And you mentioned some of the lessons you had learned in becoming that leader. But what are some of the hardships that you've had on on a day-to-day basis or when you were trying to figure out the the pivot that really taught you the lesson? Was it something to do with an employee or was it something to do at home or just the financial imbalance of the company? Um, What were some of those?
1: So I I incorrectly um, self-funded with um, extreme credit card debt and family money, and I do not... um, I do not recommend that, and um, I have not gone after uh, large loans or even small loans, and then grown, grown uh, my business credit and my own credit. And so I, that's been a, a big, a big hurdle to overcome, um, and it's also kept us from growing quicker. Than I mean, we we turn eleven, and this is when we're taking our, our big leap. And so I think that we could have grown faster had I, um, I don't know, reached out to the financial market or. Uh, been more financially savvy in that way. Um, I've learned a lot too, just from, I grew up working in under like very successful French chefs with horrendous drinking problems and tempers and picked up the tempers. And it's it's taken a few years to shake that and to realize that, Hey, it's just food. We're going to figure it out. Everybody's here hopefully everybody's here because they want to do better and, and grow. Um, but I think I, it was a lot of trial and error and a lot of, a lot of, uh, introspective growth. And, um, when there's a problem here at Pine street market, it's probably has something to do with me and I gotta be the one that solves it. Um, I've learned how to rebuild equipment. I've learned how to, um, do plumbing and electrical. I'm not good at electrical. Um, But, uh, it's, I I think as you grow, you've got to be scrappy, but you also have to trust those around you and surround yourself with good people and surround yourself with good employees and let them know, Hey, I appreciate you and put in a coffee maker and a water machine, put in a sound system so we can listen to silly music like Kesha and Lady Gaga because aggressive music and butchering does not go hand in hand. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Especially people playing with knives. That's probably not too good.
1: Right. You get all tense and angry. Yeah.
0: And so I guess I, I think there's a lot there. One of the things I think is we've portrayed, um, and we've caught onto it as entrepreneurs is we've watched the see Steve job movies, or we watch the, the chefs on television and, and these leaders and there seems to be anger and, and leading with an an iron fist, and um, and it's really not the way it's done. I think we've kind of done that as a society, and and maybe overall as the world that, you know, it you get farther by being harsher and demanding more of people. And I I, I really tend to disagree with that based on my own experience. I think when you really relate to people and connect to them, and are a human being things go so much farther. So I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up because I think it's a, a valid point. And we see a lot of that in the food and restaurant world and that, you know, anger or yelling seems to get things done. And I just don't think we, we live in that world. I mean, there's a time and a place for it, but I don't think it's an everyday thing. So the vulnerability right. there, I appreciate you sharing that with us. Yeah, and so definitely. It's, it's
1: been my biggest lesson in business,
0: And so did you always want to be an entrepreneur and own your own business or was it something that just sort of happened when you got home?
1: I am not a good employee. I, um, and this has taken years to realize I will work for someone for about a year and then I'm like, I can, I got the gist of this. I think I can do it better. And so it would just then get frustrated working under people. Um, and also, uh, as a chef you 're putting in eighty ninety hours a week. The highest salary I ever made as a sous chef was in the low thirties, working eighty hours a week and if i 'm going to work that hard, I need to be doing it to to better my life and to better my family 's life and and to to grow, not grow someone else 's company working to death
2: Does anyone in your family have businesses like did you grow up with that as an idea or were you the first one to branch out and take the entrepreneurial route
1: it's really funny uh, both of my brothers own their own businesses so my little brother is a general contractor up in Asheville North Carolina and um, does remodel and renovations and my older brother um, he went to film school and com- and learned computers at FSU and um, he's done stuff like working with Apple TV and redoing the way um, Major League Baseball does instant replays so we're all in completely different fields, but, uh, work for ourselves. So it's been really neat. It's just, I don't know if that's a coincidence or the way we were raised. Um, probably and- the way we were raised, I should give props to my parents. <laughs> there you go. Yeah.
2: But mom and dad, they didn't own their own companies.
1: No. no.
2: Interesting.
0: And, and so your, uh, fiance, you said, and, and she obviously is a, a very challenging job and, and works hard, but. How is what you do um, affect her? And I, I think you said she helped you redo the marketing and, and the labeling and stuff like that. So how do you guys work together and then manage that time apart while you're running a business that has different hours, I assume, than when she's working and plus expanding? Right. How do you manage to maintain a relationship and, and do all those things?
1: Uh, this is one of those moments where I admit that I am, um, I am the sensitive one in this relationship. And uh, Summer is very driven and uh, successful and can just pick up stuff and run with it. Um, and as an entrepreneur and as a, as a hetero male in today's society, um, my most important thing is to choose us every day and to put us first. And that's the only way this relationship is going to work. Um, It has to be the most important thing in my life. I had a business, I had anything else Um, and letting her find her space and fun in what I'm doing. And so she can share it with me. Uh, She does a lot of the design work. Uh, She's done the the whole rebranding and uh, run with that. Uh, The website, the newsletters, it's really been wonderful because these things presented themselves as our relationship grew. And she's like, I want to do this. And She's really made it her own. And um, I don't know. It's just, it's been this whole other beautiful side of our relationship. Um, we make sure that Sunday is family day for me, her, and our little cockapoo, Gracie. Um, and so that's family day. We do family stuff and uh, are real protective of that.
0: Yeah, I think that's important. And you touched on something I think it's important that I heard a couple years ago which was um as a male we were in charge of of leading the adventure but we want to make sure that we make our significant others a part of it as as a woman so they feel that they have ownership of it as well and uh and, and equal in it and planning it and then doing it and, and finding their space in it so i really enjoyed that you said that i think deborah and i find that quite a bit i i'm the go-ahead you know, jump off the bridge, don't care what's at the bottom. And I'm going for an entrepreneur and she's sort of the balanced one and, and, and picks up the pieces she, she wants to that I leave behind and helps make sure everything goes smoothly. So I can relate that's to that a lot. And there's a lot of trust and, and love and, and kindness that's built around it and understanding when you include each other. And I think yeah. you have a more open and honest relationship with each other when you are vulnerable in that way. Right, Deborah may disagree with me, but
2: I totally agree. Actually, as you were describing, you know how it all goes between the two of you and how you approach things. It sounds a lot like Justin, and so yeah, I'm the sensitive one for sure.
0: So, (laughs) um, so with that in in scheduling time and stuff like that. What days of the week are you open? What are your hours? Um, And what are your planned hours for the Chop Shop?
1: So Pine Street is open. um, We're closed on Mondays. And we're open Tuesday through Friday, 11 to 7. And Saturday and Sunday, 10 to 5. Chop Shop will be open seven days a week. And I'm probably going to get this wrong because it's not in front of me. I think it's going to be 10 to 7 during the week. Uh, nine to six on Saturday and ten to six on Sunday. I think. And I assume. But, um, go ahead. Oh, just the Pine Street hours have evolved over time to fit the needs of the customers. We used to open up at nine in the morning and then do zero business till eleven. So it's kind of funny. So then we. So I'm sure that Chop Shops hours will will change with the demands of the neighborhood. It's the fastest growing area of Atlanta. So as it grows, I'm sure the hours will kind of morph to fit.
0: Oh, so that I have lots of questions around that. When you chose the location for the new place, as well as the old place, were you aware of those growing markets? Had had you chosen them because they were growing and you saw the trends, as you mentioned earlier,
1: I was very naive when I started Pine street and, um, didn't think I even needed a retail store. And then the the city wanted one and they were correct. And, um, so when we, we opened the retail store here in, in Avondale States, it's on a weird side of the street. The the say, the sign out on the main road's all janky and you can't really even find the street when you're looking for it. And um, you know, God bless Google Maps and all that stuff, um, and ways. But uh the store was such an afterthought and we've been kind of playing catch up with that. Uh it's a about a hundred square feet, it's really small, um, with just one deli case. At Chop Shop it'll have four deli cases and display areas and, and, you know, a big, beautiful retail store. And that we were, um, Charlotte, the, um, farmer at rear farms, her and I went all over that area of Atlanta to find the right spot. So it's on a, a very busy street, uh, up and coming area. And, uh, we were, we probably toured a half dozen facilities, probably more till, till we found the right one.
2: Have you guys chosen to rent or to own your own facilities?
1: To own, to own, and owning the building alone is is going to be extremely profitable. So we bought the building in the mid three hundreds, and it's already appraised. Now that we've done the build out, we aren't even open yet. It's already appraised in the seven hundreds.
2: Wow! So, and do you have extra space that you're leasing out to other people to help at pencil?
1: We do. So it was. uh before um, we bought it, it was an old tire shop and before that a gas station. So if you think of the, the, big, the big building, the chop shop is where they would you know, where they'd have the mechanics and change the tires. And then there's that little building with the overhang where there used to be gas tanks. And that little building that used to be the office, we're going to – I think we're back and forth. I think we're going to do like a, um, a demo kitchen to where you can film or set up and rent for the day to sell food. Either that, or we're going to sell. Um, Charlotte's husband, Wes, wants to call it the Poorhouse, P-O-U-R, and have uh, beer and wine. So we're we're kind of we're going to see as we open in a few weeks. We're going to give it several months. Right now, it's just uh, raw, and then give it a few months and kind of feel out what do we think. Which one do we think is right?
0: I think that's important because you mentioned it earlier where the city had wanted you to put in the retail shop and as an entrepreneur, just listening sometimes and not always thinking you have the right ideas is part of the process to success. And that also brings me, I know you're at You said 11 years earlier and it's been a long road, but I, the thing about it is there's really no overnight successes. I mean, people think suddenly you're, you're popular in your restaurant or you're, your bar or whatever it is, or shop is doing well. It's really takes years of, you know, failures and experiences to get to that point. And people tend to see the success versus seeing the hardships that came before it. So, I mean, I, I hear it all the time, 10, Right. eight to 10 years yeah. before they've ever really made any money or really felt like they were doing well. And I think that is a learning curve. I mean, there's lucky people out there that do it less than that. in
2: right. in the
0: world, but in the food world or in the world that you actually have a, a tangible product, it does take much longer. It does take much longer for it to stick. Um, so, well
1: that's what I say to people when they come to me wanting to start their own businesses as, what do you want to do for the next five years every single day? And if I had a family member come to me about opening a diner and I'm like, well, are you going to be there every day? Are you going to do the dishes? And they're like, no, we, we want a business that you don't need to maintain that kind of just works itself. And I'm like, aside from a laundromat, I don't think that there's such thing. Like you can't, if you're starting the business, you are the business for at least five years, possibly 10. And I, I know that more than anything else in the whole world. And it's 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 funny when people come to entrepreneurs and say, man, you know, it looks so easy. You get to set your own hours. I want to do that. And you're like, okay. Yeah. Like, how about go to go volunteer somewhere that's in your field and or work for minimum wage or whatever entry level position and see if that's really what you want to do and learn on their dime. And then you may go, holy smokes, I do not want to own a diner. And or this is, oh, my gosh, this is what I've always wanted to do.
2: Yeah. It's funny what you said. My mom actually owned a chain of laundromats, and uh, I'll get rid of that misnomer. Um, she definitely had to do all parts. She became her own mechanic and could change hoses. Oh, okay. And <laughs> it was all sorts <laughs> of uh, madness. It's actually how I learned how to count is I used to put little coins into the little, uh, the That's little really sleeves. Cute. That's how they used to do it back in the day, <laughs> instead of going yeah. to the bank and then running it through a machine. Right. That's
0: funny, but yeah. So I I think those are all amazing points, um, because people think that you just get into it and and you get to make your schedule. And I know a lot of entrepreneurs they start businesses and they have to get a a second real job, as I'll call it, while they're trying to get their other job off the or their business off the ground. Excuse me, because you know, the money isn't coming in at first, but they still want to build it, but they're still working other jobs sometimes for years before it really takes Mm -hmm. off. And I mean, even, um, we talked to bootlegger or bootlicker the other day, and, um, he's still running his main business while he's trying to get his food business off the ground. And it's been a few years since he's done that. So I don't think there's any easy way of becoming your own food entrepreneur. And, you know, even with franchising and all that, it's not as easy as everyone thinks it is.
1: So with that, I still go pick up consulting jobs. I'll I'll pick up consulting jobs, um, where I write food safety defense programs for various food producers. And then um I also travel with Big Green Egg, the Komodo Grill Company, and um to pick up external money as well.
0: I love those things, by the way, the big green eggs. I, and I know being in Atlanta all the time, we pass it on our way out to Milledgeville when we're there for for work. And we see the, the building and the big green egg out there. So
1: I'll be there tonight, teaching a class to, um, different reps from around the country. Oh, that's,
0: that's amazing product. Um, with opening another store and with what you've learned in the, in the pine street market and and now what you're going to apply to the chop shop, how do you find employees and, and how do you make sure you have the right ones in place and you know, when you have a problem, how do you, you know, how quickly are you to, to get rid of them? Is it something you resolve with them? Um, so there's a couple of questions there, but I'm curious.
1: Right. Um, hiring people and hiring the right people is very important to, um, my quality of life. Um, I have mishired or mistreated, you know, employees throughout the years and, uh, mispromoted and things like that. Um, one, one of the things that I've learned over the years is the most important is to have a strong vision and a strong culture and, um, very black and white job descriptions. So we have an employee manual that goes over everything, including how to act on social media when you're not at work. Um, but with, uh, appropriate measuring of, um, employee jobs, you know, what, the, what tasks they're doing, um, being slow to hire and quick to fire um i will i've learned in the moment i mean i used to reprimand employees in front of other employees which is one of the worst things you can do and i've learned to you just pull the employee aside and you say hey um let's talk real quick about what just happened and i respect you and respect me and let's just have an honest conversation and that that goes so far and i've had um I've had people with alternative lifestyles working here. We have several now and letting them know that they feel safe. And the second a customer in a class or a fellow employee cracks an inappropriate joke, uh, it's handled immediately and sternly because you need to know that you're safe at work. Um, And that goes with me. I'm not, I'm not perfect, but I I've gotten to where I don't hang out with the employees. I don't go grab a beer with them or double date with, their significant other, I maintain that professional level because there's moments you have to have hard conversations, but it's all got to be very respectful and, um, you've got to introduce them to your culture and the way things are done and, um, quick to reprimand and quick to praise, I think are two of the most important things you can do. And at every employee, it's a relationship you have with them and you can't treat everybody the same, but you've got to treat them all fairly. And I think those are the most important things.
0: You talked about the managers a little bit earlier. And and since we're on the topic of employees, how do you choose a manager? Is it someone you hire? And you mentioned you didn't promote within, if it was a job they weren't ready for. Is it, is it, and and how do you make sure you keep the good employees or managers as well?
1: Uh, To keep good employees and managers, it's, um, empowering them and having things like a conversation where you say, Hey, we both know you're not going to work here for the rest of your life. It would be great if you do, but you probably won't. So what are some things you want to learn here on your time at at Pine Street Market? Um, Do you want to help teach a class? Is that something you want to, to add to your resume or add to your arsenal? Do you want to run the beef program and, and kind of, I mean, within reason, you can't have everybody running a beef program when it only takes one or two people. And you can't have everybody teaching a class when that only takes two people. But it's neat how the intercommunication between employees and the staff and even the management hierarchy, it kind of just works itself out. And um, like right now, we're looking for another butcher. And in the past, I would have just put out an ad hired the butcher been like, Hey guys, here's your new butcher. But what I do now is I go to the team and say, Hey, we need to add someone to the team. What tasks do we think this person needs to do? And we sit down over lunch or a cup of coffee and we just hash it out and we say, okay, you know, it's realistic for them to do this, this, and this, do you want them to take on this? Okay. And just like when an employee comes to me wanting more money or more to, to move up in the company, uh, I try to explain that um, with responsibility comes more pay. And so you want, you want more money at the company? Okay, well, what are additional tasks that you can take on that benefit the company to justify that pay? And the calendar doesn't give you a raise. Your performance does.
2: I love that. Yeah. Um, and thanks. as
1: far as hiring, um, that's, <laughs> that is something I'm still learning. So if we could tune into another episode and I'll listen. Okay,
0: I'll make sure I make note of that. Uh, It's it's a hard process because I don't think Mm -hmm. anyone gets it right, and I, and I actually would argue that traditional ways of hiring and resumes and all that is actually uh, not a great way of doing it. I've seen videos and stuff and a little more personal that have started to come out, and I think we're getting there. Um, I've seen kids now start submitting projects and, and stuff like that, which I think is interesting. But you know, people one of the things in my experience is people aren't really honest during an interview process and they're not very vulnerable and you don't anymore seem there's a willingness to learn. So I liked what you said, what do you want to learn here? And, and what opportunities can I give you to learn? I think that's important and it sort of helps people put down that guard that they need to do this whole impressive thing. Um, right. impressing, uh, the potential employer I think this should be less important. I think what is it you want to know? How can we help each other? You know, I can how can I not only give you a job, but grow you as a person and what are the things that you actually need to work on? That's great that you can do all the things that you say you can do, but where is the growth? Because if you're not growing, you're not going to like your job and
1: it's going to show in in the, the way that the company operates with that person in charge of those tasks.
0: Exactly. So what I want to do, um, before we, we close this up, uh, Rusty is I want to make sure everyone has your contact information, your social media and your website again. And, um, and I also want you to sort of cover the things that you're looking for. If there's anyone out there in the audience that may be able to help you if you need help with something, I know you're trying to grow and you mentioned you were looking for possible investment and stuff like that. And, I don't know if that's something you want to talk about, but it's certainly you're welcome to, to put it over the air. And then after we get mm-hmm. off, I want to make sure I get all the information on the, the people you manage, High Road Creamery, I believe you said Gumbo Marketing, as well as Riverview Farms, uh, because I want to make sure I give them special mention in this episode, because that's what this podcast is about. So Absolutely. I'll let you wrap it up, and, um, and then I'll do my closing remarks, and, and we'll be done.
1: Okay. Um, what, what, what do I do?
0: (laughs) Uh, Just uh, tell us what you need and then uh, tell us how people can find you on social media and uh, your website and email address if you want.
1: Absolutely. So, um, on social media, you can find us. I'm at know your butcher on Instagram and then pine street market on and chop shop ATL. Those are our handles on Instagram. Um, or Chop Shop ATL on Facebook, Pine Street Market on Facebook. Uh, I'm Rusty Bowers on Facebook. And then uh, rusty at pinestreetmarket.com is the, the catch-all email address. Um, what I'm always looking for is connecting with, with different people, whether it's to discuss you know, p- possible investors down the road, um, different food producers that we can feature at, at Pine Street Market and Chop Shop, uh, people that want to get together, share stories, share experiences and, um, constantly traveling with, um, with big green egg. We'll be out in summer and I will go to San Francisco later this year. And then, uh, Rotterdam as well. Um, and just meeting people along the way, whether it's knife foragers or food producers or any of those wonderful things. We always, you know, like connecting with with people that can help us grow and that we can help them grow as well.
0: Was that Rotterdam, Netherlands?
1: Yes. That's so interesting. It was my third time.
0: I um I was part of an MBA program called uh One MBA and there were five universities from around the world that we sort of traveled with and did internships with and a group of us, but it was uh Rotterdam uh was one of the locations for that. So that's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that some of my old classmates are listening to this podcast and can learn oh, about yeah. the big green egg while they're there.
2: I, I connected
1: you're with there. the owner, of, or the owner of Big Green Egg Europe, and every egg that goes through Europe, the UK and Russia, goes through him. And he's just this wonderful, giving, energetic guy, and just it's one of my my favorite people that I've met in a while.
0: That's awesome. I, I think business is growing and international, and that whole thing's a, a very cool experience in the food world, and it's a very. um you know, as a side note, I know we're trying to wrap it up, but I think food is really uh, such a common denominator, no matter what part of the world you're in, that you, in the food business, you just always find people to talk to, whether it's a restaurant owner or a manufacturer or whatever it ends up being, it's just quite the experience. So I really do want to say that there's quite the connections out there and, and people connecting. So I'm glad you shared that. Um, the Rotterdam thing's really cool. I, I love the Netherlands and I love being there during my, uh, my graduate school years. So, um, with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. I wanted to thank everyone uh, for listening to the episode. Uh, thank you, Rusty, seriously. I really appreciate you getting on the show and, and coming on here and taking a chance on us as well and, and letting us do this with you. I loved your story, seriously. And as we get the thank chop you. shop open, I'd love to do an interview again. Uh, with you for sure. And I'd also love to get your partners on and hear about their farm at Riverview Farms. And so I will reach out to you and get their contact information because I think they have a great story as well and what they're doing with animals and, and meats. Um again this I'm Justin Bizarro. My co-host is Deborah Micus and we're Justin and the food entrepreneurs. You can reach me at Justin.bizarro at gmail dot com. That's B-I-D-Z-A-R-R-O at gmail.com and we're on instagram and facebook at justin and the food entrepreneurs thank you